When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Bologna review episode, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is one of the hosts of the excellent Napoli Nation TV show on YouTube. Mario, welcome to Forza Napoli. Much, Joe. I'm happy to be here, man. It's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. We've had your father on a number of times, and he is definitely one of our favorite guests. But it's nice to have you on as his son. And you had the pleasure of watching this match with your father, as well as a few other Napoli fans that we're familiar with in the Napoli community. I think I saw Alex there, Dom. So that's really cool, considering that it was an away match. It wasn't even in, in Naples. It was at the Stadio dell'Ara. Of course, this was the final home match of the season for Bologna. So let's start with that. Like, what was the atmosphere like at the dell'Ara for this one? Oh, man, you know what? I've never been to Bologna, so it was definitely new for me. And let me tell you, they have some passionate fans. They were very, very kind to us. Uh, obviously, you know, with passion comes some controversy. Uh, we were we were discussing about the uh, goals. Actually, a, a really funny thing that happened whenever Bologna got that three-two lead, the uh, fans behind me they were so excited. He got up, took his shirt off, and then I actually came, I knew it was offsides, and I came to high five his hands. He's like, "Yeah," I'm like, "No, look!" And then he turns around, it's all offsides. It was a two-two scoreline, so I'm glad that it ended that way. But yeah, back to the Bologna fans some passionate people. We did confront a couple of ultras who gave us a little bit of a problem, but you know, with Calcio, that comes with it. Yeah, I think that comes a bit with the territory whenever you're going to an away match, but it's, I'm glad to hear that it was, sounds like it was a pretty good environment. I think it helped considering the circumstances, right? Bologna, we're just happy that 
they stayed up. Actually, they had a very good season, you know, potentially finishing the top half of the table or thereabouts. Napoli already have the title secured. So it's probably felt a bit more like a friendly, like a very competitive friendly, I would describe it, right? Where it's like neither team has much to lose, but, you know, they want to win because they want to close the season, finish the, their last home match with a win. We wanted to win because we were chasing that point total record, which we ultimately didn't get. But there really wasn't a whole lot for either team to play for. But let's talk a little bit more about the match. It was the first time all season that we've dropped points after taking a two-goal lead. Victor Osiman scored both of the goals for Napoli. Before we break down each of the goals that he scored, I want to just get your thoughts on his performance as a whole because he must have been even more impressive to watch live in this type of match. Oh, definitely. I mean, seeing his speed in like real life time is insane. How how he maneuvers his body, how he shifts it so quick, how he how he confuses the backline and the goalie itself. I mean, you don't see this too often. He's a one of a kind player, and that's why everyone wants him. You know, but tactically, uh, Osman performed great. Like I said, his whole body movements. You know what we we're talking about? Actually, how Cabada does it. He actually loves basketball too. What we were getting the feeling of is that he actually has been learning that from Cabada as well. I don't know, just something that we kind of caught on to. But uh, yeah, Osiman, obviously for me, a uh, man of the match as well. In my opinion, he should have had maybe three or four goals. We saw that the goalie did have some good saves. But yeah, I mean, Osi was definitely clinical enough to have a nice 2-0 lead. And unfortunately, we did end up with a tie. Yeah, that's an interesting take. You know, Cavada, we know he's a basketball fan. Remember the the Steph Curry, you know, sleep celebration that he did early in this season. And yeah, there there definitely are sort of crossovers or skills that you can learn. Like things like, for example, playing with your back to the goal, right? Like that's that's very similar to how basketball players sort of pull up or, or back into to the bucket, right? So, you know, that's an interesting thought. Osi, of course, yeah, I can just imagine how fast he is in a live match. I mean, you see it on TV, but it's always, that's one thing about live football matches that's you notice right away is just the pace that they play at is insane and it doesn't really come through well on the tv screen with those two goals osiman brought his league total to 25 goals four goals clear of lautaro martinez who scored again on saturday against atalanta that just about wraps up the capo canonera race i'd be surprised if lautaro even played against torino which is a meaningless match now for inter because they already qualified in the the champions league they're guaranteed a top four spot I suppose he might play in that match just to stay in form ahead of the Champions League final because the games are a week apart, but I wouldn't expect him to play from the first minute. Just they don't want to risk injury. And even if he does play, regardless of how many minutes he plays, chances are he's not going to score four or five goals in that match. So I think Osimen has the Capo Canonieta wrapped up. He's up to 30 goals now in all competitions, despite missing 10 matches due to injury, which is just insane. And to your point, that's why there's so much interest in him. I'm really hoping that the reason De Laurentiis has set the price tag so high is because he doesn't actually want to let him leave yet. He still has two years left on his contract. So hopefully we might even get him to agree to a one-year extension, which would be ideal because then we can still sell him for a gigantic price at the end of next season and still have him play for us next season. The first goal he scored in this match, though, was probably the easiest goal he scored all season. Definitely say that too. But you know what? People have kind of looked away from the fact of like like how he did score it. Because if you actually look at the highlight, you know the goalie had made eye contact. He looked up at his whole back line, and Osiman had his body shifted to the right side on the right side of the defender. So the goalie read that, but he was quick enough to shift to the left, and he just quickly grabbed the ball. I 
those kind of moves, not every striker is able to really do that, especially at his length. Like, Osman's just a completely different player. I love the guy. I completely agree with that. I think there were a lot of really subtle things that would have been easily unnoticed, let's say. And so, you know, it's easy to say, oh, what an easy goalkeeper passes straight to him and he taps it into the empty goal. But we'll talk about Mota's tactics throughout this podcast because he's one of the guys that we've been linked to as a potential replacement for Spalletti. And we're going to talk about the coaching situation at the end of the episode. But one of the features of Mota's game is he likes to play out of the back and he likes to involve the goalkeeper, much like Gattuso did at Napoli. So for anyone who wants Mota to be the Napoli coach... I mean, that may not be very good for Alex Medet. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But in my preview, I mentioned that if we are going to press high, which I fully expected that we would because that's a big part of our game, then it's really important that we press as a collective. And I think we did that perfectly on this play. It started with Lobotka pressing Ferguson on the right side of the midfield, and that forced Bologna to play the ball all the way back to Skorupski. Once that happened, everyone kind of picked up a man. Cavada marked Stefan Posh on the right wing near the touchline. Osimen was marking John Lukumi in the area. Zielinski did exactly what you're taught to do from a young age when you press. So what he did was he pressed Bonifazi. And then when Bonifazi played the ball to Skorupski, he continued his press, but he stayed in that path. He blocked the passing lane from Skorupski to Bonifazi, which means Skorupski now had to look for something more vertical. And I'm sure in retrospect, he probably wishes he just played a long ball and got rid of it based on what happened. But I think he saw that, I think it was Cambiazzo who was dropping to show for the ball. And that's another thing, another feature of Mota's system that we saw, which is that his left back will often drift into the middle of the park. He actually, in his dissertation, he described this formation as a 2-7-2. And everyone was like, what the hell is a 2-7-2? It turns out he rotated the angle of the field. So he was actually talking about, if you look at, at his setup from, say, left to right or right to left, you have two players on the wing, seven players in the middle of the park, and then two players on the other wing. <laughs> Not like two defenders, seven midfielders, and two strikers. But anyways... He's very focused on the middle of the park. So he had Cambiazzo drift into the middle very often to show for the ball and almost play as another midfielder, even though he's a fullback. And so Cambiazzo was dropping to show for the pass to Skorupski. And Gisa was a little bit behind him chasing him. So I think Skorupski saw that and thought, okay, the pass is on here. I'll play it to him and he can direct the ball to another player in the midfield or play it back. But he just didn't, to your point, he did not anticipate that Osiman can intercept that pass. And when he did, it was just game over. That's That ball's going in the back of the goal. The second goal required a little bit more finesse. But Mario, again, I don't know if it's something that you pick up on as well in person, but certainly when you watch the replay or the highlights or whatnot, the turn by Osiman in the area was just so classy. All right. Also, all due respect to Abibi for his assist. I didn't even realize, like, when I was watching live, I didn't know it was BB down there doing that, you know? And uh, it was great to see because we actually scored both our goals on an automatic turnover from Bologna. So the pressing was working, you know? And that's really important for Napoli for the, for the next season. We should continue to press high. That is our game. Uh, we'll get into which coach would work best for that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was... We actually saw it quite a few times, especially from Bonifazi in the first half where... Bologna were kind of buckling a little bit under the pressure and, and passing it straight back to our players. What happened on that one was actually it started with Cavada losing the ball, 
but he did what you expect. You know, whenever a forward loses the ball, they work extra hard to try to to run back. It's like there's this kind of acknowledgement. Like, My bad, I made a yeah. mistake. I'm going to go back and try to get it. And I think that forced Musa Barrow to pass behind the teammate, and that allowed Berzinski to step up. And you're absolutely right. The pass from Berzinski was perfect. Osiman did another thing you're taught as a kid, <laughs> as a striker, which is he showed for the ball and he pointed to his feet. He's telling him, give me the ball to my feet. And Berzinski, not only did he do that, but the weight on the pass is what allowed Osiman to just turn without even taking a touch, right? Like he recognized, okay, there's the pace of this pass is perfect. I don't need to take a touch. I'll just turn in the area. And then the finish was, I guess, more just about power than accuracy. He just blasted the ball at, at goal and, and beat Skorupski through his legs. So another quality goal from Osiman. Again, he's kind of showing, I thought in this match, Osiman showed sort of all the qualities that he has, right? Like we already talked about his pace and his strength. He showed his finishing on this goal. He showed his ability to press on the first goal. And then to your point, he probably could have had a hat trick on a couple of occasions had it not been for Skorupski. Like he showed his aerial ability on that chance in the second half, which was from a corner kick. Zielinski played it to the first post. He heads it down to the bottom corner. Most times that's going into the back of the goal, but Skorupski made a really good save there. And then he had another chance in the first half which again just showed sort of Bologna's vulnerability to the long ball over the top, especially when you have a player like Osiman, where, again, I think it was Zielinski that played the long ball, and he just let it bounce into the area, and then he does this, like, scissor kick volley out of nowhere, <laughs> and, and Skorupski made a really good save on that one with one hand. I think Zerbin even had a chance on the rebound that didn't find the back of the goal. So, yeah, Osiman for me, was probably the man of the match, even if he wasn't actually given that award. He came off in the 66th minute when Napoli were up 2-1. to one, And, of course, we conceded the equalizer in the 84th minute. So let's talk now about the two goals that we conceded. The first was scored in the 62nd minute, so just before he was taken off. I think it was Nicolas Dominguez that played a vertical pass to Sansone on the Bologna left wing. Sansone himself had just come off the bench, so credit to... Mota for his substitutions as well because De Silvestri, we'll talk about the second goal later but he was also a substitute that scored for Mota's team. So Sansone's shot was stopped by Golini but the rebound fell perfectly to Ferguson and he scored on the empty goal. Mario, just what are your thoughts on on this first goal and perhaps who should uh, take the blame? No, uh, it was an excellent save, an even better shot but whenever the ball counters off of the goalie's hands like that, you expect your defenders to close in on that and either clear it out or grab the ball and from what i saw on the right side it was super open i, I saw Oliveira was not marking anybody specifically uh, he was kind of just looking around he was also there pretty late but you know i feel like if he was paying attention just a little bit more he also could have stopped that goal and cleared the ball out but in my opinion on that goal it's easily to blame just on Oliveira. i think he should have been more prepared yeah i think that's fair i think i would put part of the blame on him maybe not all of the blame only because I mean, I have the benefit. So <laughs> what I do is like I watch these goals like um, like an NFL coach breaking down film <laughs> and like pick apart all the little nuances that probably nobody, you know, in real time are impossible to think of. But what I saw as well was that I think Oliveta was stuck kind of between who to mark. I'm not even sure he saw Ferguson there, to be honest, because when the rebound came off of Golini and he turned he seemed like a little bit he started running quickly again like he was caught off guard not expecting the player to be there so I think part of the blame also has to be on 
either Cavada or Zelensky for not tracking back. Because, you know, again, going back to this 272 idea of Mota's, I think because of that, both Nguisa and Lobotka dropped on that side of the park where Sansone was. And Oliveira also had Nicola Moro in the area to mark. So he was caught between the two players, which leads me to think that, well, how did Ferguson end up so open <laughs> on that side of the park? And and the two guys that I can point to on the field that didn't get back to me were Zielinski and Cavada. So I, I would spread the blame around to all three of them, if I'm being honest. Maybe Golini could have also done better to control that rebound, but I don't really put too much blame on him just because the shot bounced in front of him. So I think he got handcuffed a little bit. Like that's a really difficult ball for the keeper to to control where the rebound goes. I think in those situations, you just just make the save and then deal with, you know, deal with the rebound later. So that made the score two to one. Now, before we even talk about the second goal, I think it's also important to note that had this been a competitive Scudetto race, and what I mean by that is if we were not already mathematically guaranteed to win the Scudetto, I don't think Spalletti would have removed Osimen with only a one goalie. There is no way. And the reason I mentioned that is because I saw a lot of people criticizing Spalletti online and talking about how you know maybe he's been figured out and maybe it's a good thing that he won't be coaching next season. Some people were looking at Napoli's record over the last 10 matches and we have four draws and three losses, whatever it is. And, you know, how many points we've dropped. And now this is just my opinion and everyone's entitled to their own opinions and I respect everyone's opinions. But for me, it's just, it's a joke to criticize Spalletti's results over the last 10 matches. Like the last five matches were completely irrelevant. I know everyone wanted to break the points record. So did I. But at the end of the day, all that matters is that we won the Scudetto. And clearly Spalletti felt the same way. Like he even said in his post-match press conference that, for him, the record was winning the Scudetto with five matches still to play with, which only a few teams have done in history. And even the five matches before those ones, it was kind of our worst stretch of the season, right? Like we had a whole bunch of injuries at the same time. Don't forget, we played the first leg against Milan with Elif Elmas as our striker <laughs> because Osimen, Simeone, and Raspadori were all hurt at the same time. You know, we had a busy schedule with the Champions League and fine we have depth you know maybe i'm making an excuse with that one but the other thing is that we still had such a big lead like basically dating back to january we were up i don't know 17 18 points since january i think it's natural that come the end of the season when we were playing the same guys week in week out they're getting a little bit tired maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit so all of that is just to say that i wouldn't be too fussed about dropping points in this match or in any of our recent matches so with that in mind, let's talk about the equalizer, which was scored by, as I mentioned, another substitute in Lorenzo da Silvestri. Mario, you probably couldn't see it live, but maybe you saw it more clearly on the replay. But it looked to me like da Silvestri had a nice solid handful of Matthias Oliveira's shirt as he was going up for the leap for that header. Yeah, you know, people didn't take that into context either. I definitely didn't see it live. But when I did see the replay, I was I was shocked because from what I saw, I couldn't see a dang thing, not a dang thing. But I don't know how VAR misses that. You know, I don't know. VAR has been so inconsistent this season, just in general. In that situation, on a goal, you got to look over it. You just have to. Yeah, I agree. I, I wonder if, again, going back to the point I made earlier about not having a whole lot at stake in this match, you know, I feel like maybe if this was a derby or a competitive match, something on the line, 
they have to look at that. Like, I mean, as a defender, Oliveira just couldn't jump because he's being pulled downward by the opposing team's players. So, yeah, I think we'll probably let that one go just based on on the fact that it's the end of the season. It's their last home match. You know, nice result for Bologna to get a draw against the league leaders, uh, the league winners. For Bologna, they had a, a, you know, I tweeted about this even before the match. They had a fantastic second half of the season. They took points from all, literally all of the top clubs in the table. The only teams they didn't uh, take points from in the second half of the season were, I think, Torino and Monza, who are not even, you know, the clubs you think of as the typical top clubs, right? They just happen to be above Monza in the table. So, you know, 2 2 results sucks that we don't get the points record, but I think everyone's pretty happy sort of at the end of the day. Last thing I want to talk about the match before we get onto the whole coaching situation is I just want to get your thoughts on the play of Zerbin, just because, you know, he's not a guy that, that we got to watch a whole lot this season. Again, you know, Spalletti rotating, giving guys a chance to play. We saw Berezinski playing, getting a couple starts. We saw Gaetano come off the bench a couple times. So Zerbin gets his first start on the right wing, which was because Lozano was injured. He has a right knee sprain that's going to take him out for the rest of the season. Politano was involved in some sort of incident. I don't know if him and Ndombele collided with each other, but they both had a, a blunt trauma, they called it. And I think it was Friday's training session. Ndombele ended up being okay to play in the squad he completed the session on saturday but politano only did therapy so we knew that he probably wasn't going to play and then elmas was on a yellow card suspension so he wasn't available as well i was really hoping to see raspadori line up on the right wing just because you know that's a big question mark with the squad like who's going to be our starting right winger if we play in a 4-3-3 then you know assuming we keep osimen which is a big question mark then there's this kind of question of where do you play Raspadori? Cause he's too good to be a bench player, at least in my opinion. So I was hoping that Raspadori would play on the right wing just to see if he's capable of playing there. And could he be the guy that replaces Politano or Lozano? Instead, Spalletti went with someone who I would say is probably the more natural fit on the right wing in Zerbin. What did you make of his performance in this one? No, for someone who hasn't really started for us at all and doesn't really have much playing time in general, I think he was perfectly fine. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's our solidified right wing or nothing like that, but, you know, he has time to grow. He's a young player, but he definitely showed potential. He showed a lot of urge and grit. Like, he wanted to definitely be there, you know? He didn't take bowling out lightly. I'm not saying any of our players did, and no one should have. But, yeah, is that a bean? I could definitely see him next year getting a lot more playing time, given our situation as well. It just depends who our right winger is. Like you said, uh, I would love to see Raspatori there. Elmas does play there sometimes, but in all honesty, I'm not a big fan of Elmas on the right wing. I like him more playing in the central midfield area, maybe as a false nine, but I don't know. Elmas on the right wing for me just doesn't work. But Zedbean, you know, if I had to give him like a like a rating, I'd give him like a nice six. Yeah, I think that's fair. You can see he's still raw. The work ethic is there. I thought he was working really hard. But the talent needs a bit of refinement. And and maybe there's an argument that he could have benefited from a season on loan at another Serie A club because he came from Frosinone and Serie B. You know, maybe even next season he might get a loan. I think part of that, you know, a lot of people kind of overlook this point. But the way the squad rules work in Serie A is you get 17 players that can be from pretty much anywhere. I mean, you can't have too many players that are not from the European Union, but so, you know, we have Kim, we have Lozano. I think you get four players out of those 17 that can be from anywhere in the world, but you have 17 players that don't have to be 
raised in Italy, let's say. Then in addition to those 17, you get four Italian-raised players. So what that means is players that came through an Italian system with any club. So Zielinski, for example, came through the Udinese Primavera. So those guys can be counted outside of that 17. So that brings you to 21 players. And then you get an additional four players who are homegrown. So coming out of your own youth system. And if you have enough of those, which we don't because our Primavera team is absolute garbage and they just got relegated, which I'll talk about that in a future episode, but I'm really upset about it. <laughs> but that gives you potentially 25 players. So if you have a good Primavera system, you have four squad positions there that could be quality players. Like Insignia was our one guy for the longest time. And both Zerbin and Gaetano came out of the Napoli Primavera. So to me, I think that's the reason why they were kept in the squad rather than being loaned out. But yeah, I thought he was working really hard in the opening stages of the match, but his touch was really poor. He couldn't he couldn't yeah. seem to make a, a good touch. Cambiazzo was getting the better of him on that side. It was a nice little battle, actually, between him and Cambiazzo, but he was losing that battle. But I thought he kind of worked his way into the match, and he kind of made up for for what he lacked in attack with his contributions in defense. Like there was one play where he got back and he intercepted a, a switch to Musa Barrow in the area and just very calmly headed the ball back to Skorupski. So that was good to see. Like you always want to see that work rates from your wingers, which I think he definitely has. And then he had a couple of shots on target that Skorupski stopped. I mean, the first one was the rebound on the play that I mentioned earlier where, where Osiman did the volley. And then the second one in the second half, he probably could have done better on the finish. He blasted it on target, but it was sort of straight at Skorupski. So, you know, all in all, yeah, I think a six is a fair rating for Zedbin. Okay, so let's close the pod with a little bit about the coaching situation because, I mean, this is an evolving story. Who knows by the time this episode gets published, there might be all kinds of other news. But, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, and there have been quite a few updates since at least the last episode where I where I talked about or maybe two episodes ago now where I gave my thoughts on all the various coaching options so let me just do a quick update on what we've learned and then I'll get your take on this whole situation so on Sunday De Laurentiis was on Ketempo Kefa which I think is a Rai show and on that show amongst a whole bunch of other things he talked about he basically confirmed that Spalletti would not be returning next season. He said he's going to be taking a sabbatical year. And then Spalletti confirmed the same thing on Monday at the MCL Inside the Sport Awards, where he was given the Coach of the Year Award. Before I get to the future potential replacements, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Because to me, I think maybe this was kind of like a story that they agreed on. But it feels like, okay, this is you know, this is our PR story. This is what we're going to tell the public that, yeah, you know, Spalletti, I'm tired. I want to spend more time with my daughter, which is probably true. I think both of those are true. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that he was still able to coach. I mean, not too long. I think in one of his pre- or post-match conferences not too long ago, he actually said, no, no, I'm good and I have lots of energy. And then suddenly he's tired. You know, they had that dinner at the Coco Loco restaurant or whatever local. Yeah, Coco Loco, I think. And and it seemed like that was a negotiation. So they probably couldn't agree to terms. You know, what do you make of this whole situation with Spalletti not coming back next season and, and how it's kind of played out? 
I'm not going to lie to you. It, it sucks. You know, we just won the Scudetto after 33 years, and he's an amazing coach, regardless of what people say or if they thought that he was getting figured out. I completely, definitely agree with you on, on that subject. Times were dying. I mean, we, we already know we had it clinched. You know, players also get affected by that mentally, physically. They just get tired. So in all honesty, it's not not great for us. But like you said, I think there's more that they're they're hiding. They're not really talking about like the whole contract extension through the email rather than just sitting down with them, you know, that's definitely not right to do. As an owner, you should definitely always sit down with your coach and have that kind of talk, especially within that subject. So, you know, regarding the, the future, it's not going to be easy. I'm, I'm not as confident in saying that we're going to be a dynasty. I was, I was, if Spalletti was willing to stay longer, I was really thinking Napoli could become a dynasty. You know, you have to keep Ossiman, Kim, Cavada, all these type of players when you do these things. And ADL seems like he does want to do this. Compared to the past, you know, in my opinion, I thought it was just about getting top four, you know, just building, building Napoli. But now he's showing he wants to win. Also, him talking about winning Champions League, that might have put immense pressure on Spalletti as well. You know, he, he's an old guy. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. And uh, he just won the Scudetto. So there's a whole bunch of factors that added on to this. But that story that they gave was just the easiest thing to do. It keeps everyone at peace. Obviously, people like me and you know there's there's more behind the scenes, but for the general public, you know, that's the best way to do it. How the media gets with uh, exaggerating stories, you know, so they just completely shut all that down and that's what they wanted to say. So good luck to Spalletti. His year off, you know, he, he deserves it. He's been at it for a minute. He finally got what, what he deserves. Within the future, we'll definitely talk about that. I'm going to hear you first about it because honestly, I'm not too sure, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, for sure. So first, let me say, um, I agree with you. I think there's definitely more that happened. I think that Laurentiis, being the cunning negotiator that he is, used that peck to ensure that Spalletti doesn't play anywhere else. It was kind of like, okay, I've exercised my option, which I had a contractual right to do. You can't leave without my permission now. But fine, we get it. You want to go. You want to spend time with your family. You're tired, whatever it might be but I'm only letting you do that if you're not working for another club. So I think, I think he used that <laughs> to his advantage, but there's probably more that went on. I mean, it really started to feel kind of tense and negative as, as we rolled around to the end of the season, you know, Spalletti didn't do a pre-match conference and there was the whole comments about clipping wings and farming boots and all, all this other stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good thing now that, that they're going to go their separate ways on the Laurentiis, now the pressure is on for him to to walk the talk, right? Because, you know, he's been so proud that, you know, at the retreat last summer, he said, you know, we want to win the Scudetto and it actually happened. And he's going to remind us of that every single interview now. You know, I told you guys I wanted to win the Scudetto. Nobody believed me. Everybody laughed at me. Even Spalletti didn't believe me, made his face or whatever. And then after the Fiorentina match, and maybe this was him trying to like publicly pressure Juntoli into staying, but he, you know, during the post-match ceremonies after the Fiorentina match, he goes up to Juntoli and right in front of him says, we want to win and win and win. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, more recently he says, we want next, we want to win the school, uh, win the Champions League. Champions League you know, so it's like, geez, this guy went from, you know, not even talking about the Scudetto. Now he wants to win the Champions League. Which is great. I mean, you want you want a president and an owner to have those as his goals. The question is, can he make the decisions, which is can he hire the right person to deliver on those goals? And 
you know, just today, as you know, before we started recording, we got an update, or at least he was talking to TGR, which is another Rye thing, which I think he's talking to Rye a lot because there's all this stuff about, you know, what they're going to be broadcasting for the final match of the season. So suddenly he has a bunch of friends over there and he's showing up on all their shows. But, you know, we all kind of wanted, I think, Luis Enrique to be our guy, right? He seemed like tactically he fits. Uh, in terms of his pedigree, he won a Champions League at Barcelona. So if that is, in fact, the real goal, then maybe he can actually deliver on that. But the update that we got on Tuesday morning was that De Laurentiis said that Luis Enrique wants to coach in the Premier League. And I kind of made this joke to a few friends in a, in a group chat where I said, you know, if you Google Translate, Luis Enrique wants to be in the Premier League into English from ADL talk, I think what Google would tell you is that means Luis Enrique is asking for too much money, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and, and those have been kind of the reports that he wants something like 10 million euros gross, which I think is the price that he gave to Chelsea as well when they were interested in him. It seemed like we could probably agree to something in that range because because he's been coaching outside of Italy for over two years or whatever the, the time period is, for the Decreto Crescita, there's like a tax savings for the club if they sign him because the club pays the gross wages, he gets the net. So typically, let's say you're paying a player or a coach a salary of 10 million gross, their net is five. Whereas with those tax savings, you can get him the sort of the net salary or close to what he wants. Let's say he wants 4 million net. Normally, that would be 8 million gross, but because of the tax savings, you only pay 6 million as a club, something like that. So it seemed like the gap was maybe only one, one and a half million euros. But for whatever reason, it seems like De Laurentiis has decided to move on. And maybe what he figured is, and this is probably a good thing, which is that if you look at the last bunch of coaches that we hired and when we announced those hirings, they were all right around this time of the year. So he likes to hire his coach as early as possible, which is good, right? Give them the whole summer to plan and prepare the squads. I think Spalletti, I can't remember which one is which, but one of them was hired on, you know, between Sari and, and Ancelotti and Gattuso. It was kind of like May 23rd, May 28th, May 30th. So right around this time frame. So, I think he might have been thinking as well, okay, look, this negotiation with Luis Enrique is not going how I want it. It's dragging along a little bit. I need to make a decision quickly. And so it looks like we're moving on from Luis Enrique, which means that, oh, and one other thing that he said as well that I think is really important is that he said, you know, we've talked to or we're talking to about 10 coaches who play a 4-3-3 system. So that's good to me because... That rules out people like Gasperini, that rules out Antonio Conte, who may have been good. But personally, I just did not want a coach that plays with a three-man back line because I think that just it's too much change all at once. We're already potentially losing our sporting director or, you know, to have a new sporting director come in to rebuild a squad. That doesn't give me a whole lot of hope that we're going to, you know, repeat as champions or certainly not win the Champions League. So with all of that, it seems like Vincenzo Italiano is now kind of the front runner for that job. Tiago Motta, who we talked about already throughout this podcast, and Sergio Conceição seem to be kind of like the next best options. 
How are you feeling about those options, say Italiano or, or any of them in terms of the potential to repeat as champions? You know, uh, to be honest, the only one I'm really comfortable with, and I'm not going to say that we're going to even win this Scudetto with him, but I'm just more comfortable with him, is Italiano. We've seen the most successful coaches in Italy have been Italian. And we also understand that Italiano does have amazing tactics. Me, I don't think defensively he's the best. But then again, our defense is much stronger than that of Fiorentina's. And if Kim does end up staying, he would make his life a lot easier for that. So for me, I would just say Italiano is the best choice. Anything after him, I really couldn't tell you if I'm, if I'm sure or not how, how they would do. You know, Tiago Malta, I respect his game for sure. We saw what he did with Bologna. You know, they're a mid-table team, but they always perform nicely against all the big boys. And that's important. But the next coach was it Con Consensiao? How do you how do you, how do you say it? Consensiao? Yeah, him. I have no information on him at all. I understand that he did coach Porto, but me, I was personally looking for someone who had experience, and Enrique was that guy. He's won in different or in in the Spanish league. He won the Champions League with Barcelona, also against Juventus, which I know that ADL does love. So uh, you know, he seemed like that guy. Unfortunately, today we we found out he's looking elsewhere into the Premier League. And as soon as ADL, how you mentioned, he did start talking um, about him with the uh, looking at other teams, but also he started talking about food and like culture. And as soon as he started bringing that into the context, I'm like, okay, now you're just bringing up stuff that the coach doesn't really care about. He wants to just win, you know? So that's out of the books. I truly do think we grab Italiano and I wouldn't be mad at that. He lacks experience, but tactically and his, his potential is high and Napoli would be a great stepping stool for him. Mind you, we have to keep all seamen, you know, I, Osman leaving and him coming as a coach wouldn't work out, in my opinion. Uh, we got to keep him just to keep the stability going. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's funny, when De Laurentiis was talking about culture and food and all this stuff, he sounded like a Napoli fan, which is something happened with this guy. I don't know if he bumped his head or something, but something has changed with him. And he's he's acknowledging fans, he's giving fans credit, he's taking pictures with ultras, he's talking about food and culture and all this greatness about Napoli, although... He tends to do that when it serves him well. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, that's that's something that a lot of fans have been saying as well. How could Kim want to leave Napoli? It's sunny all the time, beautiful weather, beaches, the food is incredible. But I think you're right on Italiano. And it feels like what I'm struggling with, and I, I just hope I'm wrong, is that none of these options seem like the perfect fit, right? They all have kind of their weaknesses. I would say on Concesao, He's a fantastic coach. I just don't know if he plays the style of football that we want to play in Napoli. And maybe that's me being picky. I mean, we were fine with Gattuso playing a bit more of a conservative style, gritty type of football. So fine if if that's the approach. At the end of the day, as long as we win, that's the most important thing. But I think Motta and Italiano play more of a, a style of play that we we associate with Napoli. And then being the optimist, I guess the way I would look at this is, you know, when we hired Sadi from Empoli, he wasn't the coach that had a winning record. He wasn't the coach that, you know, he came from a mid-table team, even a lower to mid-table team. And we played probably the most beautiful football we ever played, at least up until this season. So that gives me a little hope that maybe Italiano and Mota can be similar in that regard. The other thing I think Italiano has going for him is that he reached the final of the Coppa Italia this year. He reached the final of the Conference League this year. Granted, those are smaller cups, 
but at least he's shown an ability to advance deep into a cup. So I'm not saying that's going to translate into us, you know, getting to a Champions League final or anything like that. I think, I mean, we have to take this season with a grain of salt as well, just because the way the the fixtures and the draws went, it just happened to set up for an Italian team to reach the final. It's I don't personally think it's something anyone should sort of expect. I think semifinals kind of the next goal for us as far as Champions League goes. The one thing, and you kind of touched on it as well with Italiano that concerns me, is the way his teams defend. Because Fiorentina plays such an aggressive attacking style and high press that they do tend to expose themselves to the counterattack. And so defensively, they're vulnerable. And that concerns me in spite of the fact that we have much better defenders than they do. Like, they don't have a Kim Minjay. Kim, I'll take Kim over Milankovic. You know, 10 times out of 10, they don't have Di Lorenzo. I mean, Biragi's been good this year, but Di Lorenzo's better. So in terms of personnel, assuming we keep Kim, which I'm leaning towards us not doing, but we are linked to some promising replacements. We have better players, but my concern is that even those players have been exposed to the counterattack, right? Even with Kim, that is an area where we're not particularly strong. So if we bring in a coach like Italiano, my hope is that as a young coach, he has that ability to adapt a little bit and maybe scale back on the aggression a little bit or or even kind of pick his moments, right? Like if you look at the Coppa Italia final against Inted, they race out to a lead, they're looking amazing. It might have been wise for them to just you know slow it down a little bit, take a breather, defend a little bit, and then go for another push and an aggressive play and try to score a second goal. <laughs> Instead, it's just like, full sprint the whole time and then they get beat on a counterattack. So we'll see. I think probably as fans we all owe it to De Laurentiis to just put our faith in him. You know, if you look at just what he's done with this club from the time he took it up until the pinnacle this season winning the Scudetto, he's earned that even if we wish he just didn't speak. Um, but I think we got to trust him on this decision. But I'll be honest, I'm a little bit concerned that, to your point, I, I think our chances of repeating as champions, our chances of becoming a dynasty may not be as high as they could have been with Luis Enrique. And, of course, with the joke of the Fiji Chi and not handing out punishments to clubs that deserve punishments that, you know, the whole club should be going to jail instead. They're going to pay a small fine, but uh, you know, again, that's a, a subject, <laughs> subject for another, <laughs> another podcast perhaps in the summer. Mario, I know I did a lot of talking on this episode, but that's all we have time for today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Appreciate you having me, Joe. I love your show and I love coming on here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So you can find Mario on Twitter at Botril, that's with a zero instead of an O, B-0-T-R-I-L-L. And you can find Napoli Nation TV on YouTube and Twitter as well. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. You can also support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com. Uh, slash Forts and Apple Pod again, and it's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at fortsandapolipress.com. I will be back in a few days to preview the match against Sampdoria, our final match of the season. We're finally going to lift that trophy at the Maradona in front of a, a sold out stadium. It's going to be amazing. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre.
Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.